This is the FCB Podcast Network. They freed us all from tyranny. We stand for things for liberty. And they fought so we would be America, land of the Welcome back to the Growing Patriot Podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Hamilton. This week, we are going to wrap up checks and balances by learning all about the executive branch. Hi, I am Sam Postel. I work at an organization called Ballotpedia, and I also teach every now and again, and I'm working on a book on Congress for my dissertation to become a doctor of political science. So, All right. So you know about the three branches of government pretty well, then. Um, a little bit. We'll see. We can <laughs> test my knowledge here. Here we go. No trick questions, we promise. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the executive branch created to do? We've talked a little bit about the legislative and judicial so far. So what does that leave for the executive? Yeah, so the executive branch, as it was envisioned by the founders, um, was, I think, really to tie the nation together. And um, the executive branch helps gives the, give the nation its legitimacy and its identity as one country. Um, so we had a governing document and we had a government before the Constitution was ratified and before we were the United States of America, and that was the Articles of Confederation. Um, that form of government did not have an executive or to the extent that it did have an executive, that was the president of the Congress at the time or the president of the legislature at the time. But the problem with this arrangement was that um, there was nobody to stop the states from doing things that the states were not supposed to do. So there were a number of states that were in the process of making treaties with other countries. Um, There were a number of states that were creating trade agreements with one another exclusive of other states. Um, That, as, as you can imagine, that makes it really hard to Uh, call the country a country when the states are, in essence, creating agreements with other countries, contrary to other states that exist within the United States, and also excluding other states or passing taxes on on trades that other states are trying to make with them. So the executive makes sure that those kinds of things don't happen, that abuses of the states against other states doesn't happen. Okay. So we've also talked a lot about checks and balances. So what can the executive branch do to check the other two? Yeah, um, there there are some powers that the executive can use that are more formal and some that are more informal. Um, So there are obvious formal um, checks that are within the Constitution, such as, you know, the president has the ability to veto law that's passed by the legislature. Um, So this just means that he can declare a law that the legislature has passed unconstitutional and say you can't pass it. But then the legislature can override that veto with two thirds vote in both house. Um, Another thing that's more informal and a more informal way that the president can veto is he can just say nothing about the law. Um, This is called the pocket veto. Um, So if he just doesn't approve or sign the law that's been passed by the Congress, then it can't go into effect. And presumably, if he's unwilling to sign it, then he's not going to execute or enforce that law. Um, So that's one way that he can check the legislature in a formal sense. Um, In an informal sense, he can, and 
presidents have done this to a greater or lesser extent, they can set the legislative agenda in certain ways. So um, one way that this was done, starting with George Washington's presidency, was he gives a State of the Union address and he lays out what he thinks that Congress should do. Um, Washington actually visited the Congress and gave a speech that was a State of the Union. Presidents following Washington didn't do that until Woodrow Wilson um, at the turn of the 20th century. And then it picked back up and now we have a formal State of the Union address um, that's publicized and people watch it and they comment on it and all of these things. Um, which relates to another way that the president can really check the power of the legislature, drive the power of the legislature, which is through the use of media. So one way that Franklin Delano Roosevelt did this was he had frequent fireside chats, which were um, radio programs that he would put on rather frequently. And he would tell the nation what he thought that the legislature should do. Um, so there's a variety of ways that the president can check the legislature or can balance the legislative power. Um, the president can also uh, play a large role in judicial power. Um, the most obvious way that he does this is he appoints judges. Um, so those are just kind of the broad ways that the executive can check and balance the powers of the other branches. Okay. And can those other branches in return check and balance the executive? Yeah. So an obvious way or the most obvious way that the another branch can check the executive is the judiciary. So the president can actually issue what are called executive orders, which have something of the force of law. Um, the judges of the federal courts, they can look at these executive orders and they can declare them unconstitutional. And if they're declared unconstitutional, then they no longer have the force of law. Um, another obvious way that uh, the Constitution lays out for a branch to check the president is um, the legislative impeachment power. So the legislature can start an impeachment process and then it can actually go to trial at a federal court and they can impeach the president. Although um, this has only happened three times that it's ac actually ended up um, in, in the federal court. An impeachment trial has ended up in the federal courts. So um, although it's very, very frequently threatened by the legislature, the legislature hasn't used it as much as I think the framers thought that they would. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about what impeachment means? Yeah. So impeachment um, means that if the president uh, acts treasonously or something like that, um, if he's considered corrupt, then uh, the legislature can point out that corruption and they can they can vote on it. And uh, as a result of that vote, then that can actually go to trial in the federal courts and the federal courts can um, impeach or remove the president from office. Um, at the federal convention, the delegates talked a lot about this as one way to check presidential power. And it's therefore surprising that it really hasn't come to uh, impeachment trials very often in the history of the United States. Yeah. But even that idea, you know, that that just kind of puts in focus the whole the whole point of what they were doing. They wanted to make sure they weren't going to have another king who could just yes. do whatever they wanted. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're thinking about the executive branch, you know, it's been, you know, a good 200 some years since since this all was laid out. What has changed or, you know, has would the founders recognize the executive branch today? 
Yeah, I think I think in some ways they would recognize the presidency and in some ways they wouldn't. So um, there are various aspects of the presidency that in some ways mirror what Washington was doing with the presidency. Um, the president is is seen today to be the sort of leader of the country um, in important ways. He sets the agenda. And this is this is what Washington was was believed to do, although he was apprehensive to take on that role himself. Um, the people at the time of the founding, they they really believed that someone, some someone with some strength and gravitas, um, or popularity or some credibility, was necessary to tie the country together, and to render us one people. Um, so in that sense, the president still really ties us together, and he forms sort of our national identity. Um, other countries recognize us through the face of our president, right? Um, that's the person that they pay m most attention to in other countries when they think of America. So in that sense, the presidency is is similar or the executive branch is similar to the time of the founding. But in other ways, um, it's very different. So the most... Um, the most obvious way that the presidency is different is there are a number of different um, administrations that are part of the executive branch. So we generally think of the president as the whole executive branch, but that's not really the case nowadays. So there are a variety of different administrations. So the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the Food and Drug Administration, um, the Environmental Protection Agency. These different administrations are parts of the executive branch today. And um, while it was true that the president had a cabinet and he had different what, what were called ministers in the Constitution, um, there, there weren't exactly agencies or administrations who would then take the laws from Congress and then flesh them out and not only um, not only execute those laws, but actually write what are part of those laws and part of the rules that are to enforce those laws. So the president has taken on um, a lot more power when it comes to executing the law, even so much as writing some of the rules that make up those laws today. Mm -hmm. What do you think our framers would think about that? Um, well, in in some sense, uh, I think that there there are certain arguments that the president needs to have um, greater latitude and their implied powers in the Constitution, and those powers need to be adapted to um, modern days, but or the modern day. But in in another sense. Uh, it's very difficult to to reconcile this aspect of the presidency with the fact that the Constitution lays out separate branches of government and the legislature um, is supposed to be the one governing. So Article one of the Constitution, for instance, says all le legislative power shall reside in the legislature. Well, the president now um, through these administrations and through these agencies, he plays a certain role in writing legislation in terms of these rules through these administrations or these agencies. Um, so perhaps they wouldn't like the president going into lawmaking and rule writing and all of these things. Mm -hmm. All right. We in previous episodes have also talked a lot about how compromise has been such a big part of creating our country. And you know, even from choosing whether or not we would declare independence, you know, not our founders did not agree on everything. Were there any, um, you know, disagreements on what the executive branch would do? Yeah, um, there were a lot of disagreements at the Constitutional Convention, and they were wide ranging. So um, many members, um, perhaps about half of the members at the beginning of the Federal Convention, where they wrote the Constitution, believed that there should be more than one president. 
as crazy as that sounds. So um, probably about half of the members of the Constitutional Convention, they wanted three, um, or they at least wanted more than one person to be the president. And the reason for this was they really thought that one president who who had all of the power within the executive branch would look a lot like a king and they feared that there would be a lot of abuses um, at the state level i believe that there were only two states um, new york and new jersey i believe that had a single executive so at the time that the constitution was was written um, there was a lot of popularity for a three-person or a several-person executive um, or at least a single executive who had to listen to a cabinet or could potentially be vetoed by a cabinet. Um, so there were a lot of arguments about how the presidency was going to look. Would it be one person? Would it be three? How many would it be? And even John C. Calhoun in 1850, um, he, he recommends, or right before he's about to die, he's about to recommend a, an amendment to the US Constitution to change the presidency from a one-person president to a two or three-person presidency. Um, so that's a very interesting thing that they had to compromise on. Um, they had a lot of debate about this. There was a plan called the Virginia Plan, largely written by James Madison, presented at the Constitutional Convention. It was presented by Edmund Randolph because everybody knew that Madison had had certain ideas of completely transforming the Articles of Confederation. The Patterson Plan, given by the delegates of New Jersey, um, laid out a different role for the presidency. And then Alexander Hamilton, the day after the Patterson Plan is presented, or the New Jersey Plan, he came in and he submitted a plan that looked a lot like creating monarchy or a kingship instead of a president with limited powers that could be checked by the other branches. Um, and Hamilton's role, people have speculated about how serious he was about really transforming the president into a king or something like a king. Um, directly following that, uh, the people who were supporting the Patterson plan or the New Jersey plan sort of backed off and they were willing to compromise with people like Madison and the Virginia plan because they now realized how crazy Alexander Hamilton and some, some other people were when it came to uh, looking to reform the presidency and the Articles of Confederation to look more like kingship or monarchy. Um, so that's one really interesting thing that happened throughout the convention to create the presidency as we now know it. So is that how we got this system of a president and a vice president? Is that Did that come from wanting more than one person up there? Well, I think that there was always, that there were always plans to have um, a vice president or at least some ministers to the president. And it, it's questionable how they don't talk too much about the vice president um, at, in the debates at the, Constitu at the Constitutional Convention. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's really related to the three-person presidency idea. Okay. So as, as time has gone on, I'm sure there are a lot of misunderstandings that people have about what the executive branch is supposed to do or what they're not supposed to do. What are some misconceptions that we can clear up today? Yeah. Um, so one thing, and this is one thing that I touched upon a, a little bit earlier in our conversation, is that... Um, the president now plays a pretty large role in laying out specific policy agendas for Congress. So an example of this, um, a recent example of this is perhaps Obamacare, right? We have a law that's the Affordable Care Act, but many people still identify it with a certain president, Obamacare, um, because President Obama had an idea of 
providing universal health care from the federal government to all people. Um, and he and his, um, his, his administration and people within his administration laid out what they thought this would look like. And they recommended, uh, they recommended policy to the legislative branch. Um, similarly, the Dodd-Frank Act was, um, was recommended and large strokes of that legislation was recommended to Congress from the president. Um, one thing that I think people don't quite understand about the presidency today is that the presidency has shifted to a legislative role or more and more legislative role. And people argue about this quite frequently. How, to what extent should the president be involved in writing laws if the constitution gives that power to the legislature? And that's that's something that's sort of open to debate and one thing that um, is very different from at the time of the American founding. All right, so if we wanna leave our listeners with one thing today about the executive branch, what should they remember about it and be be looking for when they hear about the president? Yeah, um, one thing I think that they should uh, be thinking about when it comes to the president is that um, many people get wrapped up in uh, presidential power and how much power the president has and um, presidential tyranny and all of these things, executive overreach. Um, one thing that I think that someone like Alexander Hamilton or someone at the time of the founding would would counsel students to consider is that the presidential term is a four-year term. And whenever people would uh, get really upset with Alexander Hamilton for recommending an energetic executive or a unitary executive, as he would, he would often call it, um, he would remind them that the people always have the power to unseat the president. And this is one decisive way that it's different from a monarch or a king is that the people largely have control over the president and the people can um, remove the president through election. And we don't just have to rely upon the legislature to veto, uh, to, to impeach the president. Um, so one thing that is consistent about uh, American politics and the executive is that the people still, whether it's through public opinion or whether it's through elections, um, the people still have a lot of power over what the president, what the administration does through showing popular support for certain things or even through voting. And even if it's not just for the president himself, um, the people can send a message to the president whether they approve. This is what midterm elections are for. Um, so that's one thing that I would I would tell students to keep in mind is that the people still and continually will have power over the president in terms of elections. Yes, that is definitely the key point. Um, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a perfect overview of the executive branch. Thank you so much. There you have it, the executive branch. Is that what you thought it was all about? Is that what you thought the president did? Let us know if anything surprised you. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Growing Patriots. Thank you so much for joining us, and I can't wait to get into the next section of American history with you. We will be talking all about the Bill of Rights. They freed us all from tyranny everything for liberty and they thought so we would be america land of the 
This has been a presentation of the FCB Podcast Network, where real talk lives. Visit us online at fcbpodcasts.com.